day by lifting our voices in worship to the King. Come on, let's raise our voices together. Let's do it. This is where worship starts, here in the temple of my heart, remembering who you are and all you've done. This 
is your majesty. All I have tasted and have seen, remembering who you are. And once again, I see the Lord forever glorified, exalted and lifted high. And all of the kingdom, it cries you are, you are the Lord. This is eternity, deep calling deep inside of me. I'm right where I'm meant to be. your family, stretching as far as I can see, I'm right where I'm meant to be, once again, and I see the Lord forever glorified, exalted and lifted high, and all of the kingdom it cries you
Christ was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given. My feet rose to dance When death was arrested And my life I'm a prisoner no more. My sin was a ransom. I'm Canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested and my life
Amen. That's our song. That is our story, the gospel story, and the story of salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's not a story that is contained by this room or the people around you. But that's a story that goes out into the whole world. And Jesus is saving people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And he will gather them together in heaven to worship around his throne. I had the privilege two weeks ago to travel to a global summit of pastors who came in from around the world. They're a part of our fellowship of churches called Great Commission Collective. And we were meeting together in Arizona to talk about how we can effectively plant more churches um, throughout the world and to learn from these pastors coming in from Africa and Europe and Asia and Central America. What does it mean to plant a church where you live? And we all agreed together that our mission is to plant worshiping churches, that the starting point of any church needs to be worshiping Jesus Christ, and that that worship leads us to mission, that we are sent out in Jesus' name to make disciples. And it was amazing to meet some of these pastors, to talk with Pastor Moses from Liberia. And he survived 15 years of civil war there, hiding out in a jungle, eating berries to survive. And his gospel response um, to all of the hardship he has faced is, people need Jesus, and I'm going to plant churches. And he's planted nine churches in Liberia. It's just beautiful and amazing what he's done uh, because of his relationship with Christ and because of the gospel. And I met Abraham from Haiti, and this country that's been ravaged by famine and by natural disaster. And Pastor Abraham has planted 10 churches. And he's, he's started a pastoral training center. And they're raising up pastors. And they want to plant uh, churches in every state in Haiti. And we're a part of that mission um, of planting worshiping churches that are sending churches. And so these pastors took some time while we were together. And they um, made a video uh, of a scripture reading to help us this morning as we worship Christ. Let's look at that now. Philippians 2, 5 a 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. El cual, aunque existía en forma de Dios, no consideró el ser igual a Dios. But he made himself or become like a servant. He be, be born like man. Mais c'est depuis lui-même, en prenant une forme de serviteur, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that for the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess say Jesus que Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
His name is Jesus. Su nombre es Jesús. Y name na Jesus. Na jina lake ni Jesus Cristo. Numele lu Jesus. Su nombre es Jesús. His name is Jesus. Ognemo Jesus Cray.
often at the end of our worship time, I'll say a prayer and I'll ask us to agree together by saying, Amen. This morning, I want to ask you to join me in the prayer. We're going to sing uh, this out to God again in these words. Death could not hold you. We're going to sing it out as a prayer to God, agreeing together who he is, that he has a powerful name. So I want to ask you to sing it out with all of your might, to sing it out to the living Savior, Jesus, who is here with us, that you might even raise your hands and sing to him because he is alive. Would you pray with us? Would you sing out with passion, with zeal, believing that he is alive, that he is here? Come on, let's pray out together, church. Come on. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The is the glory. Yours is the honor forever and ever. We join in the song. We join in the song to you, the Most High. God, as you've woken us up this day, we thank you that you sustained us for another night. We can't even keep ourselves alive as we sleep. You sustained us we bless your name. And Lord, you've given us breath for this day. And our first thing today, we give that breath back to you. We lift up to you praise and glory, adoration, honor to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We bless your name and honor you. Amen.
Amen, church. Amen. Amen. We're so glad that you're here today. Let's turn. Let's welcome each other. Welcome to Harvest Palace. What an amazing morning of worship. That was such a blessing. Um, If you are seated at the end of your row, would you reach down and pick up the connections register? Pick it up, fill it out, and pass it down. This is a great way for us to not just get information, but um, also for you to share your prayer requests. We do pray over those faithfully each week, so make sure you fill that out and pass it down. If you're new here, we want to especially say welcome to you. Uh, We have a connections table outside in the lobby. Please stop by that after service and receive a little gift that we have for you. Mark, you have a special announcement for the men, right? That's right, men. um, This coming Sunday, next Sunday, May 6th, in the evening from 5.30 to 7, you have plans. Men, you have something to do. Uh, It's a men's prayer rally, and it's going to be here in the worship center Uh, It's going to be a great time for us to be together. We need to be together, men. Uh, What should we do when we're together? We should pray. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So we are going to be obedient to God's word next Sunday night from 5.30 to 7 here. Uh, Don't miss it, guys. We want to see you here as we uh, believe firmly in the power of prayer as we seek the Lord's face together. So that's exciting. And Lauren, uh, there's a lot of stuff coming up uh, with Kids Men, with VBS. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I was very blessed by the response to the call for volunteers for VBS. And we have nearly every slot filled. If you still are thinking you would be able to volunteer for that, um, it's the week of June 18 to 22. We will absolutely find a spot for you. But now is actually the time that everybody can get involved because registration for VBS opens on our website on Tuesday. And this is a chance for all of you to invite uh, kids ages 3 to 6th grade who are neighbors, friends, relatives to attend VBS. It's a powerful week where we build relationships and share the gospel. So um, the most effective way to get visitors to come to church, whether it's for a Sunday morning or for something like a VBS, is a personal invitation. So really, we want to see everybody in this room take that responsibility and run with it. One really fun way that we do that is we set up a photo booth each year for VBS. We have one starting this Sunday in the gym. Stop by the photo booth. Get your picture taken. Have uh, somebody take your picture with your phone so that you can text that invitation to the people that you know that might be interested in attending VBS. But we want to see more than 200 kids attend this summer. So it's going to take all of us inviting people, and uh, we're trusting the Lord for that. So get involved with that. Stop by the photo booth in the gym after the service. That's great. And we also have child dedications coming up. When is that? It's in May? That's on Mother's Day, May 13th. We love dedicating children to the Lord. Uh, Children or infants, if you uh, have children that you need dedicated to the Lord, uh, you can come and talk to me or send me an email for more information about that. That's great. And um, there's more news about kids in our church. We did uh, a clothing drive for orphans in Ukraine in, uh, was that winter? When did yeah, we do I that? think that Spring? was February and March. Kim Lang and the Women's Ministry organized much of that, but we have some connections with orphanages in Ukraine, and we want to do our best to bless them with some of the basic needs that they don't have. So for several weeks, we collected clothing items and money 
And um, that was, we had such an amazing response to that. So we were able to collect 1,743 clothing items and $1,465 that is now on its way to the Ukraine uh, to bless the orphans there. And thank you so much for all of you who donated money or yes. items. Yeah, definitely. That's something to praise the Lord for your generosity. Uh, we also want to recognize Mark Moranto, who was very a huge part of this in coordinating and getting all that stuff packed up and shipped out. But that was a huge success. Yes, so thank thanks, you. Mark. It's fantastic. Uh, you may remember Pastor Ryan has said a couple times that we are a generous church. Like, that's a part of our DNA, and we see that in moments like this. We also had a, a big group that went out to Feed My Starving Children yesterday. I think we had 60, over like 61 people. Uh, do we have a picture that we could throw up? Look at those cool people. They were packing enough food, um, about 90,000 meals, to keep 268 children fed for the next year. Isn't that awesome? Uh, so cool, these opportunities to work for Christ. Thank you for doing that. And uh, Lauren, why don't you pray for uh, all the kids' ministry that's going to be happening this summer for VBS and pray for this morning's offering. All right, would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we just... Um want to worship you this morning. We want to honor you this morning with our gifts. Lord, I pray that you would fill in our hearts a joy and a desire to humbly give what we have to offer, whether it's money or time or talent, knowing that you are going to make it fruitful for your kingdom. Lord, we especially want to lift up VBS this summer. We want to see kids come who have never come to church before, who have never heard the gospel, so that they can hear it and their hearts will be changed. We want to impact families in this community. We also want to continue to impact those around the world with opportunities like the orphans in the Ukraine. Lord, I pray that you would bless those children and that you would continue to give us a desire in our hearts to generously offer what we have to make an impact around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Or do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, oh come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The fire. 
Jesus Christ, oh, come to the altar of the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior! Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. And bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Savior, isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Bow down before him, for he Amen. Well, we are in a series on Moses. It's called The Story of Doubt and Deliverance. And we've been uh, on a tangent looking at the tabernacle because we are entering into our phase two building program. So we've called it, uh, we've called it, thank you very much, Mark, Building Faith. Building Faith. That's the theme of our phase two building program. And this is a big day because we are going to, for the fourth time, look at the idea of the tabernacle, the temple, what God was building the title of the sermon is, What Are You Building, God? What Are You Building, God? And we're going to see how the Israelites and the New Testament understanding of the temple and the tabernacle help us to understand what God is building in our church and in our hearts. 
at the end of the sermon, we've carved out time during the service still to give you information on the Phase 2 building project. So that'll all happen within the service, and then we'll leave time after the service is over for Q&A on the Phase 2 project. But each week I've been bringing you updates on why it is that we are launching into a Phase 2 campaign. So I have two videos for you right here. Check it out. Here's me in the parking lot talking about the project. Walk into church, you come out of church, you aren't really looking around at the parking lot, but do it. Check out the parking lot today as you walk out because it's in rough shape and it needs immediate attention. We have to resurface the lot uh, because it's uh, it's coming apart. If you look right here at one of the worst spots of the lot, you can see that the top layer has completely come off. The layer underneath it is being exposed. So we have to take care of this. Well, we've gotten some estimates on the parking lot, and it's pretty costly to do. I mean, our estimates have come in anywhere from 90000 to 150000 plus to resurface it. Here's the thing. If we don't do it now, it'll get so bad that we'll have to haul away the whole current lot and put down an entirely new lot, and then the cost goes even higher. So this is part of uh, phase two, and we need to take care of this. You can also see that the lines are almost not visible anymore, so it needs to be repainted and restriped. Um, we've, we've neglected this for a while because it wasn't one of our priorities, uh, but we really have to take care of this as part of this project. All right. We're still outside in the lot, and I want to talk to you about the sidewalks. Raise your hand if you've ever tripped or fallen in our parking lot. Yeah, there's a lot of people because we've got a strange sidewalk situation. If you look down right here, somehow there's this two sidewalk side-by-side -side model that we started with. And there's lots of cracks, lots of places for people to trip. So we need to redo the sidewalks to make the parking lot a little safer. You can see over here too, there's a lot of cracks in the sidewalk that have been patched, or in the parking lot that have been patched before. That's just temporary. It needs to be completely resurfaced right here. We don't know why there's this giant sidewalk stump here. The kids love walking on it, but this needs to be taken out. So sidewalks is part of the project that needs to be taken care of also. So the videos that we've been posting are on our Facebook page. We're going to have a website page devoted to the Phase 2 thing also. But we'd love for you to be informed on why we're doing the project, what it consists of. And we'll go into more detail on that at the end of this service. Let's pray, and then we'll get into God's Word together. Father, what are you building? What are you building in us? What are you building among us? What are you building through us? And show us in your word how we can reflect your construction through our service to you. Show us what it means to be servants of the Most High God, that we can come into your presence and offer things that please you, that we can serve you in ways that makes you feel loved. And as the world watches, we pray that we would show them what it means to be part of a great work, Work that will last forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. I know, you're like, 1 Peter? What? We're going to 1 Peter because in the New Testament, they reflect on the buildings from the old. And Peter reflects on the idea of the tabernacle and the temple in 1 Peter chapter 2. So we're going to go there. And the question again is, what are you building God how can we know what God is building in and among us, and how can we be a part of that work? Now, Peter, you know him, right? Shout out some adjectives that describe Peter. Bold. Did somebody say loud? What? Wissy-wassy. 
spontaneous, jumps right out of the boat, foot in mouth. <laughs> you know Peter, right? So Peter, in his raw and undeveloped form, was impetuous. He was kind of a uh, ready, fire, aim kind of guy, right? And he gets to write a few books in the Bible. So we're hearing from mature Peter, Peter who has grown in faith and who has the, he's the rock of the early church. He's holding up, on this rock I will build my church. Jesus is talking about the gospel through the apostles. Peter knows what it means to be building up the church. And he's writing about that in his book, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Here's what it says. He says, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What does this mean? This means that as Peter looks across the church, the people in all the different cities he he was visiting and overseeing, he sees one construction project. God is building a temple. He's building a temple. And if you're a Christian, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the place God dwells. Just like in the Old Testament, we learned about how God put his throne in the tabernacle and then the temple. That was God's way of showing us what he would make us as a group. He would make us his holy dwelling place. You can fill this in, number one. What are you building, God? Well, accept Jesus as Savior and you become part of God's temple. Part of his temple. You are like a cinder block with legs. You are a living stone, it says. You're a stone. And it also calls Jesus a living stone. He is the rock, and the the Bible will say that Jesus is like the cornerstone or the capstone or the foundation stone, meaning the main thing that God is building every other thing on and with. So if you accept Jesus, you become part of God's temple. Here's a picture of the tabernacle we've been learning about. The tabernacle was a tent, gold-plated, in the middle of nowhere by the foot of Sinai. God showed that he is going to dwell with his people. He filled that tent with his glory. And the holy of holies there was God's way of saying, I'm with you, but you can't access my presence yet because of your sin. And then when Jesus came into the world, there was not a tabernacle anymore. There was a temple. So check it out. Here's a picture of the temple that was built in Solomon's day. And the the idea is the same as the tabernacle. There's the outer court. Then there's the inner court where the priests could go. And then the holy of holies, right? There's the holy place and then the most holy place where only one person was allowed once a year, and that was the great high priest. But when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn. And that's his way of saying that we are now welcome in the holy presence of God because of the sacrifice of Christ. How cool is this, though? Put the tabernacle back up there again. This is God's way of showing us what he was going to make of us in the future. How many of you made a diorama when you, went, when you were in elementary school growing up? Made a diorama? My son just made a diorama recently, a little shoebox, and his diorama was the ocean. Now, I can tell you this, he did not fit the whole ocean in that little old shoebox. But what that shoebox stood for was something immense, an even larger reality than that little shoebox was supposed to alert us to. When God made the tabernacle, it's like a diorama, this life-size diorama, and it depicted, among other things, the coming of the church the people of God who would be the place of his dwelling. In other words, that's us. Now take a look at the temple. The idea with the temple is the same thing. God would dwell with the people, but guess what? That's us. 
And when you look in the book of 1 Corinthians, it doesn't mean the whole temple area. It actually refers to the very holiest of holy places, the inner sanctuary of the temple. That's what we are now. We're, a, we're each bricks that come together, united to Christ, that hold the very holiest presence of God when we're gathered. So accept Jesus and you become part of God's temple. What an amazing thought. It goes on to say in verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Peter is quoting Isaiah 28.16 here. Zion stands for Jerusalem. And Isaiah in 700 B.C. is talking about this stone, this cornerstone, a person who would come and and a cornerstone was like the first one laid, and then all the other stones had to line up with it. So if you, if you were a bad builder, you would make walls that were crooked. They'd come off the foundation, and then the whole thing would fall down. The cornerstone represents God's building project. First, he puts the cornerstone, which is Jesus, and then everybody else who unifies with Jesus and lines up with Jesus makes up his presence. Wow, what a good way to symbolize what it means to be a Christian. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And God's been planning this. Look, even 700 B.C., Isaiah's talking about it. This is the plan. It says in verse 7, So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. So if you accept Jesus as Savior, you become part of God's temple. Question, how can I be accepted in God's presence? Only through Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. That's it. And if you, if you refuse what you've heard, then the Bible describes that as stumbling or, or rejecting the cornerstone of God's building project. So jot this down. If you reject Jesus as Savior, you fall away from God forever. Two illustrations here. They come from Psalm 118.22 and Isaiah 8.14. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The idea is that there's two building projects going on, God's and man's. Man's building project does not include Christ. So Christ shows up and, and humanity is like, eh, we don't need that. And they cast him away and crucify him. And then they keep building their own monument to their own glory. That will end very badly because everything we're building will come crashing down in the end times. The idea of a, of a prominent stone being rejected is fascinating. I found some pictures that archaeologists have uh, dug up in Lebanon of, of very large stones that were part of a temple or heading for a temple. Check it out. But then they either never got there or they got rejected. So here's a picture of a giant stone in Lebanon. You can go ahead and put that up there. It's now a tourist attraction, but that stone was heading somewhere. And, and I like this picture because it almost looks like it, it was just left, like just rejected, like, no, we don't need that. Just leave it right there. And, and never got to or never became a part of uh, the, the giant building that it was supposed to hold up. Here's another picture of a guy having a little fun with that stone. You know, he's like, I'm going to lift it right up. So go back to the picture before it. Here's the warning from this verse. The stone the builders rejected. When you encounter the truth about Jesus Christ, it's almost like coming across that. God has not made it mandatory that everyone learns that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. You kind of find that out through the testimony of others. 
And when you come upon that truth, it's almost like coming upon this rock. And you're like, wow, it sure looks like something big and grand was supposed to be built on this. But if you're not careful, you can walk right past it because it's a rejected stone. The world has not received and embraced Jesus. And if you're not careful, you will reject the stone that has been rejected by man. But listen to the contrast. God says, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, which means if you reject it too, you're rejecting what God has found precious. God is building his whole structure of salvation on his son. And if you just listen to what what the world has to say about Jesus, you'll walk right by and you will miss it all. You'll miss everything God is trying to build in your world. So the first illustration is a stone the builders rejected. The next says a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, meaning you fall. Uh, So if you reject Christ, it's kind of like you rejected everything God's been building. And you also, it's like you've fallen. You've fallen. And it's the worst fall you can ever imagine because you have fallen away from God forever if you reject Christ. You've tripped over the main thing God was building on and down you go. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had some falls in my life when I was more agile. I was capable of doing a backflip on a trampoline. And one day I was out in my backyard and I did a backflip on a trampoline and somehow I ended up spinning off of that trampoline while my sister was screaming. "Ah!" And I landed on my back. Not a good day. How many of you have a fall that you remember at some point in your life? See, it's humiliating. It's dangerous. Now, now get that image. And that's what it's like to not trust Christ as Savior. It's like falling. You have tripped and you have stumbled away from God forever. I saw a video recently of a free climber, which is apparently a thing. His name is Alex Hanold. He's the most famous free climber in the world right now. He climbs giant mountains and faces of cliffs with no harnesses. Check it out. Here's a overlook or overview of what he does. I wouldn't risk that. I I wouldn't go 10 feet up on that thing. Um, But if you're living this life without Christ, that's you. And you can fall any moment into a permanent, fatal fall where you you fall away from God and it's irreversible. That's you. That's you. And the Bible is warning us 
a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. If you, when you encounter Christ, refuse him as Savior, you fall away from God forever. I would just challenge you to embrace Christ before a permanent, fatal, irreversible fall overcomes you. You can slip off that ledge before your head hits the pillow tonight. We should be afraid. Accept Jesus as Savior and you become part of God's temple and God is with you and he dwells with you. Reject Christ as Savior and you walk right, you reject what God has been building and you fall forever. That's number one. Number two, you can fill this in. We must fill God's presence with worship. So now that we know that if we're Christians, we are God's presence and he dwells among us, what do we do there? Well, we fill his presence with worship. Look back at verse 5 where it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what are we doing here? Well, we're like the temple and we're offering up sacrifices to, to God. A few theological notes here. You might be thinking to yourself, I've heard this before. I'm the temple of God. My body's the temple. That's not what we're talking about here. It is true. There's verses in in the Bible that talk about how you contain the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, you are like the temple because you have God's Spirit in you if you're a Christian. But that's a whole different area of theology. What, What Peter's talking about here is how we become God's temple, which means we, plural, have God's presence in a special way dwelling among us. You can't just have an individual experience with Christ. Once you're saved, you become united with all other Christians as as a building. As the Bible says, it's kind of like a body and you're a part. Uh, As a bride, it says Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Meaning, if you just strive to have some private, solo Christian experience, it's impossible. God's presence dwells fully in every Christian And God's presence dwells fully among all Christians. Today we're talking about how God makes his presence known in a special way in the community of faith. He's building up our faith. Now knowing that, that means that we're supposed to fill his presence with things that put a smile on his face. We're supposed to bring into his presence offerings that he delights in. What are these offerings? Well, there's a few we're going to list here. You can drop this down first. Sing. Sing. What spiritual sacrifices do we bring? We know that the New Testament talks about singing to the Lord. The Old Testament talks about singing to the Lord. And Peter, in other verses, talks about the words we use. We're supposed to empty his presence of strife and slander. We're supposed to fill his presence with praise. In the Old Testament, the whole book of Psalms was actually a songbook. All of those Psalms were sung. David wrote, David and many others wrote the Psalms, and that was their hymn book. So singing filled the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 14, it says this, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So we're supposed to praise him without end. If you come to church and, and you don't sing and you never really have sung, that kind of shows that you're lacking the fruit of salvation. And you have to ask yourself why. Because if Jesus saved you, and if you love the truth about him, it should lead to the fruit, the the root of faith should lead to the fruit of singing. See, I went to Jewel last week, do some of the grocery shopping to help out, and I went to Jewel, and I stumbled upon something I'd never seen before. It's a new fruit to me. It's called jackfruit. Check it out. I'm not making this up. It's called jackfruit. And I looked at them, and I thought, they're gigantic. 
I really need to know what's inside of those things. So here's another picture of the jackfruit. How many of you have had jackfruit before? Very few. So I brought it home. It took me 15 minutes just to carve out half of the thing. It's quite annoying. I was YouTubing it while I was trying to get this fruit out. And, and I have friends from like Uganda and uh, PNG and other places. And they're like, it's the best fruit in the world, but it's hard to get, find it ripe in the, in the U.S. So I got it all out and I tasted it. And it tasted like a strange mix of like juicy fruit gum and sauerkraut. It's the most interesting <laughs> thing I've ever eaten. I don't think it was fully, I don't think it, I think it was actually a little expired, but it was worth it. My kids ate it and they were like, this is amazing. It, it's pretty cool. Now I know that that fruit didn't come from around here, okay? Because nobody in their garden in this church is telling me about their jackfruit. I know that it came from like India or Uganda. It came from far, far away. Now in your life, when the fruit, when the fruit that you love Jesus comes out and you sing praise to him, the world is like, you're not from around here. That's strange. Like, what is that? Do you see the fruit of your lips shows that there's a root, that you're from another place. Like, you, you worship Christ. I love what Frederick Faber says about Jesus. He says, all our lives long we might talk of Jesus, and yet we should never come to an end of the sweetest things that might be said of him. Eternity will not be long enough to learn all he is or to praise him for all he has done. But then that matters not, for we shall be always with him and we desire nothing more. This is a guy who can't stop talking about Christ. Can, can, you, can you just not hold it in? I mean, do you have to sing to the Lord? Then you're a saved person. But if your lips are sealed and you've never sung to God and you don't know why you should, maybe you're lacking the fruit because the root's not there. Accept Jesus as Savior that you might become a part of God's temple, reject Him and fall away forever. Fill God's presence with worship is number two and sing is the first offering that we bring to Him. Next one is this, jot this down, give. When we give generously to the work of God's kingdom, that's a spiritual sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. Uh, we know that in the tabernacle days when they were making it, um, they all brought offerings. They brought many things. They brought their skills. They brought oil. They brought goat skins. They, I mean, anything to, to build up the external dwelling of God. But that was just symbolic. The outside of what they were building was just showing that God was building faith in them. See, And likewise, today, when we give to the work of the Lord, when we support missionaries, uh, when 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 we feed the poor, when we make a sacrifice to plant a church, and even when you give your offerings here, your effort to build up God's kingdom shows that, his, that your faith is being built up inside of you. But your offerings do matter to the Lord. It says in Philippians 4.18, Paul is reflecting on how Philippians had supported him as a missionary, which is a funny thought. Imagine getting like this request for support from the Apostle Paul. Hey, I'm going on a missionary journey. If you'd like to support me with a monthly donation of 5 or $10, please. Like, like, he's writing the Bible. And how cool would it be to, to get up there and, you know, the angels are thumbing through your, you know, giving record and, and you supported the apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. That's not bad. So he's writing to the church in Philippi and he says this, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent. Listen, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. 
Now, this flat out says that when we give monetarily, when we give so that the missionaries can go out, so that the church can be built, right? What happens is that's a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. It's described here as a fragrant offering. Meaning in the Old Testament, they would give fragrant offerings of incense or even meat that was cooking there on the fire. That was described as a fragrant offering to the Lord. He loved the smell of his people sacrificing to him. And when we give, it's described in the same terms. God loves that. It fills his presence with delight when we give to his work. And it's a sacrifice acceptable to him. You know, when Cain and Abel appeared in God's presence, Abel's offering was received. And the Bible says this, the Lord did not even look upon Cain's offering. Man, what would that be like if you, if you do all this work to bring something to God, but Cain brought it, his heart was grumpy, he was late with it, he didn't bring the best of the first, and God didn't even look at him. What a horrifying thought that we can give in the wrong way or with the wrong heart. But when we give to the Lord's work, it's acceptable to him and pleasing. You know, when we went through phase one, we had so many stories of God coming through and God's church being generous, and I don't want us to forget that. Uh, we started collecting for this building in 2011. We didn't even know where God was going to lead us. This building was not on the radar. We were looking at warehouses. We were looking at, uh, we were looking at everything. We were looking at so many different places to put a church. Uh, and so in 2011, I got up, and many of you were there at Stag High School, and I said, hey, we're going to open a piggy bank, and we're going to start saving money for a building, and I don't know where it's going to be. And in 2011, when we collected our first building fund offering, we collected $116,000. God's people were generous. And they gave not knowing where we would even end up. The next year, in 2012, we collected $40,000 more. 2013, we collected like $50,000 more. And then it was in, uh, it was in the like Thanksgiving-ish of 2013 when I got up and said, we found a building. And we had already saved up about $200,000. And then I said, hey, we found a building, and it's in Payless, and you know the down payment's going to be like $525,000, and then there's about $175,000 in immediate work that needs to be done, meaning two furnaces are broken, there's a hole in the roof, and water is coming in, so we got to do the roof right away. So I said, listen, when you add it all up, between now, which was December 1st, and like March 1st, we need to raise $500,000. And if we raise that money, we buy the building. And if we don't raise it, we don't buy it. Many of you were there for that. And we just had like three months to do it. And, and people kept giving and people kept giving. And I remember I was checking my texts on the, the big offering Sunday. And I was texting our clerk, did we get there? Did we get there? And she's like, we're close. People are still giving online. And I'm like, how far away are we? She's like, $500. And then she's like, $200. And finally she sends me a text. Six dollars left. I'm like, oh my goodness, six dollars left. She's like, I'm going on to make a ten dollar donation right now. (laughs) So she got us across the finish line. But God's people came through, right? And then money kept coming in and coming in, and we ended up collecting over six hundred thousand dollars, and we needed five hundred thousand. So this is a generous church, and God's people in this room have given to the work of the Lord, and God loves that. We must fill God's presence with worship. We sing, and it makes God happy. We give, and it's like fragrance to Him. Jot this down, serve. The talk of priesthood here is very interesting. It says, you're like living stones being built as a spiritual house, but then it says to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
The image of the priests and even the Levites, boy, they were hard at work all day long. I know if you're a grammar buff, you're like, Peter's mixing his metaphors. First I'm a brick and now I'm a priest. Which is it? It's both. All right. He's doing that on purpose to say like the whole of the tabernacle and temple activity is like what we're doing in God's presence now. So all of this work is being done. We're working for Christ. And God loves it when we serve in his presence. I went to the Feed My Starving Children event yesterday. How many of you have been out to Aurora with us for the Feed My Starving Children event at any point in the past? Raise your hand up if you've gone to that. It was the first time I went. I wasn't able to make the ones before. But we brought over 100 people to this thing at one point. Check out the pictures I took. What's pretty cool is you get there with a bunch of people from our church and other churches. You can put that picture up there. And, and it's coming. Feed My Starving Children. There we go. You put a hairnet on, and then you've got your station, and at your station you might have like, you're putting in the vitamins, you're putting in the vegetables, or the rice, or you're putting in the soy, and then somebody's on the bag, you put it in the bag, and then you weigh the bag, and then you seal the bag, and then I was on box duty, so when all the bags were on the table, I filled the box up, and then when we filled the box up, we got to give out a cheer, and every table had a country, and our country table was Cambodia, so our cheer was, Cambodia, Cambodia, we are ahead of ya. Because we were competing with the other tables, see? But it was so cool to see 60 people from our church there filling enough meals, 90,000 meals, to feed over 200 kids for a whole year. And God loves it when we do that. We are filling His presence with service to the Lord. So we sing, we give, we serve, and then jot this down, we witness. We witness. It goes on to say in verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, listen, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We'll dig into all those phrases in a second, but the section I want you to look at is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. In His presence and in the world, we proclaim His excellencies. We declare it. We don't keep our faith to ourselves. We share it with the world. That's called evangelism. That's called witnessing. Now, churches sometimes need help doing this. And as you know, we have a passion for getting the gospel into local high schools. So we partner with an organization called NSP, the National School Project. And what they do is they train college students to mentor high school students to hold rallies in their schools. It's perfectly legal for, co- for high school students to have Christian clubs and to have Christian club outreach events during lunch, before school, after school. And when we hold these rallies, sometimes 50 students come out, sometimes 500 students come out and hear the gospel in their school. It's unbelievable what God does through this organization. Here's a picture of my daughter Ellie with her Christian leadership team at Shepherd High School right after they pulled off a rally. And it's so amazing to see what God can do. I was on a panel where the high schoolers could ask us anything. And I was on a panel with um, somebody from NSP, and then there was a former student, and then there was another former student. He shared his story. His name's Chris. He shared his story, and his story is he went to Shepherd High School, and then he abandoned the faith, and he became a drag queen. And he traveled the world as a very famous drag queen and made tons of money, and then finally one day woke up and said, what have I done to the Lord? What have I done to my faith? And he repented, and he turned away from that lifestyle. And then he wrote a book about how he came back to Christ. And he wanted to get up in front of students at the school he graduated from and say, 
Don't turn from the faith. And if you don't know Jesus, receive him as Savior. And there I was, sitting on a panel with him as he testified. Hey, we share our faith. We proclaim the excellencies of him for all that he has done. Do you know that over the last five years in Chicago, because of NSP alone, 17,000 students have heard the gospel in their high schools in Chicago? And do you know 994 high school or middle school students fill out a card saying that they responded to the gospel in their schools. And we're partnering with this organization to do this. So what do we do? We fill God's presence. We sing, we give, we serve, and we witness. And that honors the Lord. What are you building, God? What are you building, God? He's building believers to sing, to give, to serve, and to witness. And when you understand what God is building, you can write down number three. We must embrace our new identity. We're going to embrace what he's making us and what he's making those around us. We're going to become what he wants us to be. We'll embrace that new identity. What's found here is in verses 9 and 10 are six descriptions of the Christian community. Now, every one of these descriptions is highly offensive to our modern culture. Highly. But let's go through them. You can jot these aren't in your notes, but you can write them down if you want. It says here, you are a chosen race. Chosen race. This is drawn from Isaiah 43, 20 to 21. God is forming a new spiritual race of people. It's a new humanity. And he's calling people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to become united with Christ as a brand new people. I don't know if you're in high school or whatever, but the next time you take a test, or, you know, or if you take like a survey, or if you take some sort of a whatever, sometimes it asks you to fill in your race. You know, and you can fill in black, white, or Hispanic, or whatever your race. Imagine going up to your teacher and being like, uh, where's the bubble that says chosen race? See how this is offensive? To say to people that you are of the chosen race, this is how God describes his people. We've got big racial problems in our country right now, don't we? Don't we? And those problems will not get fixed the way the world is trying to fix them. Because the way the world is trying to fix them is one race is doing this, and we need to get our race up here or here, and then the problem will be fixed. Nope, that will never work. Will never work. And there's so much bloodshed and violence because one race is trying to get back up on top. That's not Christ's solution. Christ's solution is whatever race you were born into, you must follow his bloodline and become one of his people. And then people from every race can become one in Christ. Only the shed blood of Christ will solve our racial issues. That's it. That's it. And if we don't look to the blood of Christ, if we keep trying to get our race where it belongs, then we're going to continue to crumble and create such heartache in this world. God has a solution. His solution is a new spiritual race of people that elevates people above their birth race to become of the bloodline of Christ. Only the love of Christ can solve this. That's it. We're a chosen race. Next, we're a royal priesthood. This is also from Exodus 19.6. Maybe like me, you grew up in a church where there was a lot of emphasis placed on the priesthood and the priests. And the Bible makes this very clear. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. Meaning, if you're a Christian, you have been promoted to the highest spiritual rank that can be given. You are a priest. That means you don't need anyone to stand between you and God. There's nobody who's closer to God than you. There's no one who God listens to more than you. You don't need this line of saints and, and priests to get you closer to God. All of that is false teaching. When you become a Christian, you have full access to God. You go into his presence. You go in. 
You don't need anybody else to get you there. You're in. I heard a woman once say, well, you got to go through the, son, through the mother to get to the son. Show me that in the Bible. Show me that in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. You go through the son to get to the father, period. That's it. You are a priest. There's no special access. There's no special knowledge. There's no special power. There's no special class. You are a priest of the king. Glory to God. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. Write this down. We are a holy nation, meaning you have dual citizenship. Whatever country you were born into, you have citizenship in heaven if you are a Christian. And citizenship in heaven can be had from people of all nations. Big problems in our country with border disputes. Who belongs in? Who should we kick out? How do we keep people out? Our nation, our border, our people, the rest of you can leave. And in the Bible it says you can have citizenship in heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's open to anyone from any nation. The truth is everybody who ends up in heaven is a foreigner. That wasn't your homeland. God has welcomed you in through his immigration program. All right? And this is the problem with racism and the problem with being against other countries. Hey, listen, I'm not saying being against policy. I'm saying just having a racial problem in your heart is it's against the gospel. Because God's flinging wide the gates to all the nations and you're closing them back up. God's heart is for the nations. And anyone can join in his holy nation once they come under the banner of the king. Next, we are God's possession. That comes from Exodus 19.5. God's possession. We're his property. He owns us. How offensive is this to our modern world? I'm owned. He purchased us. We aren't our own. We belong to the one who saved us. The Bible, the New Testament, uses extremely derogatory language at times to, <clears throat> excuse me, to refer to your relationship to God. It says we are bondservants. We are slaves. And that does include everything offensive that you think it means. It means you are not your own. You are bought. You are property of God. Only when you know why he bought you and how he did it, that's not a burden. You're like, please, you lead me because I don't want sin to lead me anymore. But again, that's so offensive to our modern sensibility of being independent. God's possession, holy nation, Royal priesthood, chosen race, jot this down, called into light. Just try that at the next family party. When you get into a dispute about religion, say, I think the difference is you dwell in darkness, I dwell in light. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but this is what we believe. It comes from Hosea 2.25, Isaiah 43.21. We are called into light, and those living without Christ dwell in darkness. They can't see God. Finally, we've received mercy, which is also from Hosea. He met us in our misery and he led us out. Let me close with a quote um, by one scholar who said this, Church is not a place where programs happen. It's not a place to go and be noticed by others. It's not a place to meet people. It's not even a place where we listen to sermons. Church is where heaven and earth meet. It's God's will. What are you building, God? He's building a group of believers who sing, who give, who serve, who witness, and who embrace their new identity so that the world can see what it means to belong to him. And everything we do on the outside is a testimony of the reality that we're being built into something by God, something he's been building forever. We are his possession and his people. Well, I want to segue into 
the last portion of the service here. The service isn't over yet. We've carved out some time here, so the kids are still doing their thing. Don't leave yet. But I want to go through um, some phase two information right now for everybody, and then we will dismiss those who want to leave and leave time for anybody to answer questions. But right now, our ushers are going to come down the aisle and hand out a folder, one per couple or family, one per couple or family. And in that folder, you are going to find uh, a bunch of things. You're going to find giving information on all of our partners. You're going to find an annual report from last year. It's pretty much a full toolbox of everything you need to know financially about our church. But the most important thing is going to be this phase two information packet that we're going to talk through right now. So as the ushers are coming down the row, and they're handing out those folders right now, um, I just want to give you an overview of the phase two project so that you understand what it is and why we're doing it. There's an intro letter on the first page, and let me just summarize that for you. I said that we are going to inform you in April on what the project is all about, and then in May, starting next Sunday, we're going to take up a Phase 2 collection, and we're going to collect two-year pledge cards. It's very important that if you call this church home, that you would know that next Sunday you're going to come with a pledge card, and you're going to come with some sort of an initial offering. We'd love for 100% participation, so I don't know how you would define sacrifice, but I would definitely love for you to avoid the category of saying, well, this just isn't something I can be a part of right now. Hey, if you call this your church home, at least do something and define what sacrificial is and come ready to participate next Sunday with an offering and with a pledge card. It says here that we'll also take those up on May 13th, just in case you aren't here next week. We'll do it on the following Sunday too. But the major components of the project are a 3,500 square foot addition, uh, two new bathrooms, four new offices, a conference room, storage space, a new gym floor, a resurfaced parking lot, a new gym air conditioner, and some improvements to the kids' area. Uh, we want to raise a million dollars over two years. During the phase one, we raised $1.6 million, so we think this is definitely something that we can accomplish if everyone participates. If you check out the page that says Renderings and Blueprints, that's where I'm going to begin right now, but Renderings and Blueprints, we'll put it up on the screen too, you'll see what the new addition will look like. It'll come right off the side of the gym. It'll have offices on the upstairs, bathrooms and storage on the downstairs. You'll also see some throwback phase one pictures throughout the brochure. Maybe, maybe you're in them, so check those pictures out too. We did so much during the first phase. If you look on the next page, you'll see the blueprints for the addition. And imagine walking into the gym, and if you turn left where that little storage closet is, that's where the entrance to the new bathrooms is going to be. If you walk a little further on that same wall, that's where the entrance to the storage is going to be. And then we have existing offices right outside this door. That would be the way to get to the uh, upstairs. So if you look at the downstairs, you'll see where those bathrooms and the storage uh, is. And if you look at the other, the upstairs plans, you'll see where the offices are, the conference room, and even some uh, spots for some workstations. We're out of offices now and we're hiring. We would hate to have to go out into the community and spend fifty or sixty or $70,000 a year renting office space. Boy, that would be a big waste of money. And we, so we would like to own the offices and, and not have to go out and rent them out. So that's why we're building. And then if you look at the gym on the bottom of that page, we'd love to put down a new gym floor and to clean out the asbestos that's under the existing gym floor. And maybe even to put some design elements up in the gym. That's just an, an idea of what the gym could look like with a nice floor. We spend a lot of time in the gym, so we want to make that a very inviting room. Check out the next page, and you'll see current estimated project costs. Our builder right now is getting official bids from the subs, 
but the project is coming in at about 1.2 million now, but that's before we do any of the work ourselves. We've had so many people come up and say, hey, I want to volunteer some plumbing work, some, some roof work. I can do, you know, the alarm system. So we think we're going to be able to nail, knock that down to about 1 million. The remaining architecture will be about 15,000. <coughs> Site work will be about 68,000. <coughs> Structural, which would be the brick and the steel, would be 255. Carpentry, which would be the framing, would be 184. Roofing would be 50. Doors and frames, 41. Flooring would be 61,000, plumbing 85,000, HVAC for the new addition would be 39, electrical and networking 61, the gym would be 95,000, that's the floor and the abating the asbestos, parking lot, we don't know, but we're thinking it would be around 90,000, and then the kids area, we're going to do some work there, and then if you add up the managing fees, the permitting, the financing, the in-house management, uh, the overhead, all of that comes to about, you know, survey and everything, that comes to about 177,000. So you can see the total there, and some cost-cutting options would be donated or discounted services and material, volunteer projects, and then front-loading pledges and offerings, which means if, if you're planning to give and you can give up front, then that'll save us on the interest, right? If, if, you, if you give your, over the two-year period, the bank is going to loan us that money, and then they're going to charge us interest while you're paying your part. So the sooner you can give, the better. That'll save us money. Check out the next page where it gives a few sample commitment cards. The commitment cards are in your folder, and we just want you to see how to fill those out. So what you'll see there is, uh, example one is Joseph from Bethlehem. See that? <coughs> Joseph from Bethlehem. So he's planning on giving, on the first line, his phase two launch offering on May 6th, which is next Sunday, $500. And then he's got some gold left over from when the wise men visited. $500. And then he's going to make $50 pledges over a two-year period, which is about $1,200. And then he's going to find a one-time or end-of-the-year gift of $500 at some point. Maybe he'll do some extra carpentry on the side. So he's planning on that. So his grand total will be $2,200 over the two-year campaign. See how the pledge card works? Whatever your commitment plan is, you would just fill this out and turn it in. There's another example there. That's Lydia Thyatira. And she's going to give less next week, but she's going to give a bigger pledge. And you see how that makes a difference. $200 for the initial offering, $3,600 over the two-year period, a couple hundred more on the side, and you get a $4,000 pledge. That's what, that's what a $4,000 commitment can look like. Now, some people are like, oh, I'll give. I just don't want to fill out the card. You know, well, we actually need these. We need these for planning purposes, and the bank looks at these to determine how they're going to lend to us. So please do fill out your plan on a card and turn it in. And if at any point you need to change your plan, you can fill out another card and you, then you can submit that and, and uh, we'll keep this on file. There are six other examples on the bottom there. If you look at example one, perhaps somebody will give $100 next week and then $50 pledges a month <clears throat> and then, you know, $200 at some point. You know, that, that's what a $1,500 commitment would look like. Example two is just a little more in each category, $200 kickoff, $100 a month, $400 at some point over the two years. And so that's what a $3,000 commitment could look like. If you look at example three, that person has the same pledge amount, but they're just able to give a little more cash. So maybe they have more in the savings. They can give $1,000 to start it off, and then maybe $2,000 at some point. So that's what a $5,000 commitment can look like. And you know, as you look at these examples, you might feel like, well, I could see myself doing either this one or that one. And you know, well, which one will stretch your faith more? You might say to yourself, well, man, I'd love to do four, five, or six, but that, well, if, you know, 
don't worry about what other people are going to give. Just find where your level of sacrifice is. But there are people who could come next week and start it off with a $3,000 or a $10,000 or even a $50,000 offering. There are people who can do that. There are people who might be able to make $300 a month pledge commitment. If you look at example four, that person wants to get all of their one-time gifts done right away, right? So they're not planning on giving any more periodic offerings, and in the end, they'll give a $10,000 gift. The person in example five, maybe they have end-of-the-year income. So they're going to they're gonna give kind of an end-of-the-year bonus $10,000 twice, and just, there's no pledges, they're just going to give it. And the example six, maybe the person is going to give a big kickoff and then some substantial monthly pledges. Now we do have a handful of people and we do need a handful of people who are really able to do something special with the amount they give. God doesn't care the amount. He cares about the sacrifice. Some people who come with $500 will give a great amount because maybe that's all they have in the bank. Some people who give $10,000, maybe they can give that and not even feel it. It's actually not very sacrificial. God doesn't care about the amount. He cares about the heart. But we do need and we do have a handful of people in the past who have really aimed high and they've given a, a great amount and that has helped the work to go forward. And I would just challenge you, if you're able to do that, the sooner you do that, the better because then we'll save on the interest over the long haul. Check out the next page. We have a worksheet in the back of this which is called a giving plan and this is your way of coming up with a plan uh, that is meaningful. It impacts your daily life. So on the example on the left, you see somebody who's coming up with a plan and they're like, okay, well, I'm going to give, you know, some money from income. I'm going to give $200 from my savings. And then I'm going to give maybe $500 from my tax refund. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sell something. I'm going to go on Craigslist, and I'm going to find a way to make 100 bucks. And then where's my pledge money going to come from? Well, they're going to adjust their budget. And under the adjust your budget, they're going to reduce eating out costs uh, $100 a month. And they're going to call up Comcast and get their, you know, their bill down $40 a month. And boom, there's their $140 a month pledge. Do you see how this is a well thought through plan that really affects their life? And, the, and in the end, that adds up to about a $4,000 offering. The person in the middle, they're able to give a little more from savings right away. And then look at what that person's going to do. They actually have stock. And do you know you can, you can sell stock? Uh, you can give stock to the church? So if you're like, well, I don't have a lot of cash in hand, but I have stock, you can actually donate the stock to the church, and then our uh, financial advisor sells it right away, and then that's a donation. We've, we've raised about $90,000 that way from different people. So that's one way you can give. And this person in the middle just paid off their car, and they really want to go to the dealer and get a new one, but guess what they're going to do? They're going to delay that purchase for two years. And the money that they were making the car payment on, that's going to become their pledge. They're also, they realize that they're vacation people, so they're going to take $1,000 off the vacation this year and next and still take a relaxing vacation, but that's where that money is going to come from. In the end, that's a $26,000 commitment. Do you see how this is supposed to affect your life? In 2 Samuel 24, 24, David said, I will not give the Lord something that costs me nothing. So if your goal is to give in a way that doesn't affect your life, man, I just challenge you to aim higher than that. Do something in a way where you can show where it's actually stretching you. The person on the right, maybe times are tough. They're, you know, they're going to give 100 bucks next week, they're going to try and sell something and give a couple hundred bucks and they're going to commit to $50 a month and they're just going to do it and in the end they're going to give $1,500. They're going to make something happen. So whatever your level of sacrifice is, I would just challenge you if you look at the last page to take time, if you're married, do this together, but take time, work through this worksheet, this is private, and just come up with a plan, a plan where you can show the Lord, here's where we're going to make some sacrifices and then fill out your commitment card and bring it next Sunday. And I'd just love to challenge you to bring something for the initial offering and then kick off your pledges coming up.
We'd love to have a time of Q&A now, but what we're going to do is this. For those of you who are going to take off, or if you have kids in the area, or if you're just visiting today, we'd love to free you to be dismissed right now. But we have somebody with a microphone who's going to come up, and if you have a question, you can raise your hand up, and you can stick around and get your questions answered right now. But if you're going, know that you are loved, and if you're staying, feel free to raise your hand up and ask questions uh, right now. You can ask questions about anything through the project. Ken Teasing and one of our deacons is coming up on stage to help me with the questions right now also. But go ahead, raise up your hand if you have a question, and we'd love to hear from you right now. Um, and where are the people with the microphones? All right, we got one in the back there. And Mark's over here. So we have two people with microphones. If you want to just raise your hand up, you can get your question answered right now. Raise it up nice and high if you have a question. All right, we got a question over there. Who's going to get to him first? Did you guys have a launch date, like an idea of when you break ground? Of when what? You break ground and actually start. You know what? As far as when we break ground, the, there's a little bit of civil engineering that still needs to be done because they're trying to decide how the new water is going to come into the addition. So once that's nailed down, then they'll be able to set the date when we break ground. And we think that can happen in the next two to three weeks. Is it okay if I have a second question? Obviously, I was involved in the roofing last time, so I was just curious about like the actual roof. I see bird's eye, but I don't see roof. Yeah. Pitch, you, not pitch, flat roof. Part pitched, and then there's a flat part with a fake front where, that's going to hold the two air conditioning units. So there is some pitch, and then there's some flat. Okay. And we can show you the plans if you want to see those. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Dan. All right, another question. Raise up your hand and ask the question if you would like. This is your time to get your answers. Raise up your hand nice and high if you have questions about the project. Over there. All right, in the back. Microphone's coming. Who is the contractor? Who is the contractor? Lagesty and Mulder is our builder. Lagesty and Mulder. Done a ton of work in the area on churches. Their portfolio is really long. So our bank likes them a lot, which helps. Thanks. Another question. We should have had handouts for questions. Candy. To motivate people. <laughs> Who's got another? All right, question. What, what kind of uh, interest rate are, are you guys looking at? What kind for the, of? For the loan? On the, on the loan? I'm sorry, can you say that again? On the, on the loan for the interest rate? Oh, the interest rate on the loan. Right. Thank you very much. We don't have a monitor here, so I'm just hearing it bounce off the back wall. Uh, when it comes to the lending, we met with the bank earlier this week. They're thrilled the loan to, uh, loan to us. We, you know, we collected over 100% of our pledges on phase one, so they see it as like you know, a no-brainer. Because we're trying to raise the whole amount over two years, they just see it as like a bridge loan. So they're drawing up the papers right now. What they really want to see is they really want to see our final budget. We don't have that yet for them because the builder's collecting the bids and the civil engineering is being done. So I think they'll give us a formal with the rate and everything. Uh, we'll probably have that within the next three to four weeks where we actually you know, get something locked down. But they can't do that yet until they have the final budget. Yeah. We go, we're going with Providence Bank. So I don't know if you know them in the area, but good Christian-owned company. Who's got another one? Hand up if you've got a question. Right here. All right. The facility, when we're doing all the construction, is it going to, some of the areas are going to be limited? And how long is this going to take? So is it going to limit our usage, he asked, and how long will it take? 
I think the timeline that's going to be is about six months uh, from the time that they start. As we were saying, that um, it, it depends exactly on the, the, the starting date. Um, I think that what we're talking about is the latest, hopefully, is going to be Thanksgiving. So, um, and any other disruption, um, it would definitely depend more on the outside um, disruption as well, depending on the, where the water is going to be coming in, what kind of sewer uh, changes that are going to be going on out, outside. Um, but we're hoping that we can be able to um, have that cleared up every week, meaning that it's going to be um, very usable and hopefully it will be very safe even during that time. But that will only be in the beginning part of the construction as well. Um, once things start rolling, things should be a little bit more cleared up on the outside. We may have a little bit more disruption on the inside. Um, how that actually looks, I don't really know at the moment, but it's possible that part of the, uh, the gym may be partitioned off for a, a short period of time. Yeah, we don't think we're going to have to meet outside the building. Uh, we might need to have some satellite parking, given what's going on in the lot in the week, which won't be a problem. There's plenty of parking around, but... We'll give people plenty of notice on that. The parking lot might not get done this year because the longer you go in the year, uh, the more expensive it is. And we have to do that last because you can't have trucks coming in and out on the new lot. So that might get done a year from now. We'd like to get it done this year, but we'll see. Another question. Who's thinking? Over here. Pastor Ryan, what's the plan for the children's ministry? I thought you had said you were going to do something there. Yeah, yeah. So in the kids' area, first of all, the stairwells need to get done. But second, Lauren is coming up with a theme plan to give the, give the whole look and feel of the kids' area, you know, to upgrade that. And so there's some money in the general fund that's set aside for that, but some money on the construction phase of that is going to come from the phase two building fund. Yeah, but we'd love to have that just taken to the next level. We'd love to make it feel more welcome and inviting to have the technology that it needs and just to really kind of be a wow factor. So that's what we're aiming for. She's still developing the full plan, but we already kind of know the structural things that need to happen over there. Like, for example, the electrical upstairs is not good. That's why we keep blowing circuits. If you try and plug two crockpots in, like for a night in Bethlehem, bam, the lights go off. So we already know structurally some things that need to get fixed up there. Yeah. Another question. Fire away. Don't be shy now. Stump a deacon. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll remain up front. So if you have some questions that you'd like to ask us, or if you have some things you'd just like to chat with us, if you have services you'd like to help us with, come on up and talk to us. But as you go, know you are loved. We'll see you next week. <laughs>